Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 306 being recorded on Thursday, June 8th. 2023. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Well, uh, it's been about a month. Uh, our weekly pod has become a monthly pod because our lives have gotten pretty busy here in this post-COVID world. Um, I know you've been traveling a lot. What else is new with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it finally feels like summer, which I'm very grateful for. Um, a lot of interesting stuff going on in the world of commerce that keeps me uh, engaged. But I feel like the main reason our podcast has slowed down is because uh, you are an entrepreneurial mogul. I uh, don't know about mogul, but I'll take the entrepreneur piece. But yeah, the uh, the day job is is uh, occupying a hundred or ninety nine point eight percent of my time, and I used to be able to. To, it used to be like 97 and I could squeeze in more time. So I apologize yep. to everybody, but got a, there's a lot of cars out there to take care of and we're doing our best to get to all of them. And, uh, and we are grateful for it. I feel like I'm, I'm going back in time about six months because we've been on such a lag. Uh, but I feel remiss. Um, there was a huge accomplishment, uh, like six months ago. Um, you were named one of the founding members of the, marketplace hall of fame i saw that yeah uh and yeah here's the thing i'm gonna say about that i i i, I didn't know that much about it and I, I don't think anyone would be surprised to hear you're a founding member but like there were like five names and it was like jeff bezos uh uh mark Lori, and you yeah <laughs> and jack ma <laughs> and i'm like i'm like man uh you are gonna be the best looking dude on that mount rushmore <laughs> yeah, usually I'm uh I'm kind of Groucho Marx and not sure I want to be in the club, but this was one I was very happy to be be in. It was like uh me and and like three or four other billionaires. So I'll, I'll take I'll take being included in that group. Yeah, yeah. You you don't want to be the fanciest house on the block, so Yeah. I got a yeah, I'm uh I'm excited. I'm punching way above my weight on that list for sure. Yeah, well, so anyway, congratulations on that. Uh for sure. I know our listeners would appreciate it. Uh and then while I'm thrilled for summer. I've I've been a little down about one bit of news. What is it, Jason? Uh, Disney cl- uh, closed the the Star Wars hotel before you and I got to go there. Yeah, I know we could have done a live stream I, when this thing was announced. I was excited, and then I saw the price, and then I saw the promo video, and then I saw the reviews, and you could just tell they had totally they totally whiffed on the whole thing. It was. Um, you know, it was, it wasn't just kind of a hotel you stayed at. You had to just do that thing alone. You didn't have to, but you, you, you it was so expensive. You're paying too, yeah. Yeah. You're paying like two or three thousand dollars a night, which minimum. Oh, yeah. this got to be some, someone in California makes these decisions. <laughs> I guess they don't understand the, the tolls of the everyday American or, or even the, the higher end Star Wars fan. That's a, that's a big ask. And, 
you know, I'm not into cosplay. So, so I think they, they had this, uh, if we kind of put on our marketing hats, they had death by a thousand cuts. So you had to be a Star Wars fan, number one. Number two, you had to be, you know, willing to spend 5k on this fancy hotel experience. Number three, you had to be into cosplaying. And then number four, the experiences, uh, that people that tried it gave it, you know, at best a C. Yeah. Mediocre. Yeah. Yeah. It felt, uh, very Star Trekky, which is definitely a problem for Star Wars fans. Um, and you know, it had, had a lot of kind of fun spacey kind of vibe, but like not enough Star Wars. So yeah. Um, but you know, uh, I'll, I'll say kudos to them for trying. Um, you know, I bet it was an expensive mistake. Uh, I'm sure they can repurpose the real estate. It's not like they're going to, I'm not yeah, shedding yeah, a tear for The real estate Disney. hasn't depreciated, I'm sure. I think they'll point, be okay, yeah. but yeah, you know, it is bummer because I was kind of hoping it would work. Um, and I've done some other Star Wars experiential stuff that was really fun. There was, um, there's this group in the UK and they go create movie scenes in industrial areas. It's really weird to, the way it's described. It's called like underground movies or something like that. Um, and they did a Star Wars experience that was like amazing where they had a cantina. I, I guess Galaxy's Edge is kind of like, um, yeah, the, yeah, is, is a win. I'm, I haven't been yet, but I'm actually going to go this summer. So I'm excited about that. I'll, oh, I'll yeah, it's really back. good. You should. Yeah. Everyone says it's good. good. So that's uh, on my list. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm in the same boat. Like it, it, I don't feel like I'm disappointed that I missed it because I I feel like it was it sounds poorly executed and poorly conceived. But the high level concept of a experiential Star Wars uh, uh, hotel experience, I was super excited about. And I hope the fact that this does didn't work isn't going to like slow down uh, future future ideas in that space because it could have been cool if they did it really well. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they'll slow down. Yeah. They're, On uh, to something more reliable. Uh, Apple announcements. Yeah, this one was exciting. So I'd love to get your take on the Apple Vision Pro. So first of all, the the earlier announcements, I was kind of like, I was getting a little concerned because they were like, you know, coming up, the biggest new feature in Mac OS is a really cool screensaver, and then the phone had a new sleep display mode. I'm like. You know, we've kind of jumped the shark if this is the big new OS features. There were some other ones, and I'm being a little bit facetious, but there were, there were, to say there were minor tweaks was, is kind of a, uh, a fair assessment, I think. Um, and then they finally gave us that one more thing that we've been waiting for. And I went and our uh, crack staff of interns went into the Jason and Scott show vault. And you and I in 2016 gave a talk at an NRF uh, slash shop.org event where we were asked to talk about the future of retail. And in there, I remember I pulled up the presentation. We talked about drones and 3D printing, and then we talked about ARVR. And at that point in time, uh, Facebook, uh, there used to be this company called Facebook. Uh, you know, now you may know them as Meta. They, um, they had just acquired Oculus and we were speculating, would Apple enter the game? And turns out we were right, but like many of our predictions, we were maybe a little early. Um, if I, I've done the math on this right, we were about seven years ahead. But but I think the wait has been worth it because they definitely swung for the fences on this one. And you know the the feature set and the user interface. Uh, no one, none of us have experienced it. I've read the reviews of folks that have. Sounds like it. I, I can't wait to get my hands on one, and I'm definitely ordering one. So uh, excited to hear what you think. Yeah, yeah. So maybe half a step back. Apple tends to do two big events a year. They uh, and they do a software announcement and they do a hardware announcement. This is normally 
the software announcement where they detail all the new new releases of the the various operating systems for all the devices. Um, and they do sometimes launch devices at this, which they did again. They launched a number of new configurations of Macs. Um, and then in uh, like September, they announce the hardware, which is, uh, you know, generally includes a new phone for October. Um, and so you don't necessarily expect a huge new hardware product at this announcement. And I was, I was kind of with you, um, most of the OS uh, announcements were very incremental. The new uh, computers were all like, like very, very incremental. Uh, there, there is like a new 15 inch. The the MacBook Air is now a 15 inch, um, so that's maybe going to be an appealing laptop for people that want a pretty powerful laptop that's super light. Um, but I will say there's a number of small enhancements in the OSs that I'm looking forward to. Like they, uh, they're incremental, but they did, you know, call out a number of sort of pain points where like the autocorrect on the keyboard can often be very annoying and they're going to use a large language model to, um, let you keep your curse words and proprietary language a lot easier and uh, a few little bits like that. Um, and then yeah, to your point, like at the end, they go and one more thing, and and as I assume most of our listeners know, that's magic language at Apple. Um, that's that's the language Steve Jobs used before he pulled the first iPhone out of his jeans pocket or the first um, uh, MacBook Air out of the Manila envelope. Um, and you know that language has been used to introduce a lot of Apple's game changing products, and it frankly hasn't been used very much. Um, in the, in the modern era. So the mere fact that they started the introduction with, and one more thing tells you that Apple thinks this is a, uh, an extra big deal. Um, and I'm with you. Like I will, I'm embarrassed to say some way, in some ways, I will probably buy one. Um, I think there's a bunch of cool things about it. Like the, the hardware achievement is, is pretty impressive. So this is a, they would be pissed at me describing it this way. Uh, they invented a new term. They call this spatial computing. Um, but, uh, it's a, it's a AR VR headset. Uh, and it kind of looks like ski goggles. Um, and you know, a lot of people had predicted this and there are renderings, uh, that weren't too far off. Um, but the hardware is beautiful as you would expect from Apple. It has a bunch of premium finishes. Um, it is not an accessory that talks to a computer or a phone. It's a, computer that you wear on your face. And in fact, I think it has two M2 chips in it. Um, and, and the specs are really high. Uh, each eye has more than a 4k screen. Um, so very high resolution, uh, VR headset. Um, and the latency, uh, it, it has this mode called pass through mode, which means there's cameras in front of it. Um, and it can feel like a transparent visor because, the, the cameras see outside and then, you know, project that onto these two 4K screens. So it makes it feel like you're seeing through the visor and it's in full color at 4K with less than 12 millisecond latency. Um, which is, uh, other VR headsets have a pass through mode. Like the, the Oculus has a black and white pass through mode, but the latency is, is much, there's a lot more lag. And so that creates like all these like motion artifacts and stuff. Um, this, this is all very premium high end hardware, which seems pretty cool. Um, and so the, the experiences, uh, seem cool. Everyone I've 
read, you know, that got to actually try it thinks the like on your face experience was vastly better than any other AR VR they had experienced. Um, and then they also, you know, brought in, uh, Bob Iger from Disney and who announced that they were doing a bunch of proprietary content for the platform, which is a, another exciting thing, right? Cause the, these headsets are only as good as the, the content you have for them. So all that to me was super favorable. The things that they're rightly getting knocked on is you just talked about the, the price of the Disney hotel being unrealistic. They didn't really even mention the price in this announcement, but they released it afterwards and it's, the base price is going to be over 3500 bucks um and if you're blind like i am you're going to have to then buy some prescription Zeiss lenses that screw into it um and so it's it's an expensive device um it also has kind of meager battery life like the there's a small battery on the device um but in order to get a 2 hour battery they make you put a battery pack the size of an iphone in your pocket and connect it via a cable to the headset and that gets you two hours, which frankly isn't even enough time to watch a lot of, of uh, movies that are out these days. Um, people have talked a lot about it being really heavy uh, on your face because of all this, like, you know, metal hardware and premium materials um, that it, it feels pretty, pretty meaningful on your face. Um, and then the biggest weird thing to me uh, in the announcement, they made multiple, uh, they took multiple occasions to talk about um, how important what they called presence is, right? So they talked like uh, there's a lot of new features in all the OSs around um, uh, FaceTime and making it a more useful meeting thing. And, and all of those features were around making you feel like you were um, more together with the people you were FaceTiming with. And when they first show this, this Apple Vision Pro experience, the first thing they show is video conferencing with other real people and how their faces are floating right in front of you. And it, you, you know, it, it's this great presence experience, except for anyone wearing this bloody device, because guess what you don't get is a picture of, of the person wearing the device. Yeah. What, what you, yeah. what you get is a uncanny valley, like semi realistic avatar, yeah. avatar of the person. Mm-hmm. And it, it just feels like very incongruous that they're both saying presence is super important and then they're partitioning anyone wearing this device sort of away from real people. Um, and so I, that to me is worrisome. Uh, I got to be honest, when I add up all the pros and the cons, it, it feels like people like you and I will buy it. Um, but I kind of suspect that this is going to be more like an Apple Lisa than the first Macintosh. Yeah. It, you know, but the, you got to start somewhere. And this is by setting the goalpost high, it's easier to go down than up. Um, so, you know, I can imagine several iterations and maybe it'll take another seven years, but at some point, I think they'll solve all those things and they'll get the cost way down. But it's 100%. I, if you look at this yeah. as like the entree into a new, uh, form of computing, I'm, I'm totally with you. Right. And, and I get, I wish I owned one of the Apple leases. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and it, it did pave the way for the Macintosh. So, uh, so I'm all down for it. I, I don't think like if you're a retailer at home and you're going like, Hey, do I have to invent some new commerce experience for the, for the Apple Vision Pro? Like the, the answer is no. Right. Like, unless, like, unless maybe you're Louis Vuitton and you want to get a good press release about being a first mover that, you know, it's, it's unlikely that there's going to be a hundred million people. Um, sitting in their house, wearing this thing on their face all day and wanting to shop on it. Yeah, I saw so two last comments on this. One, 
I saw one reviewer who's really into ARVR, and it was an interesting framing. He basically said Facebook is going down this path of VR is a social experience, and you're using it for meetings and for meeting people, which aligns since they're a social network, right? And that's part of their DNA. Whereas Apple is kind of more saying we're heading into a world where we're more alone and you'll, you know, you'll increasingly, you'll be working from home alone and remote and you're, you'll, you know, you'll be interacting with your family with this mask on. Uh, It's kind of a, I don't buy this framing, but it's kind of an interesting. No, it is. the, The way it's set up today is a very different view of things. And then, you know, then the conclusion was, you know, for society, I hope it's the Facebook solution because, or else we're all going to be ready player one, like sitting in little tiny, you know, compartments, yeah. never interacting with each other at a human level again. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, and then ironically, like uh, Apple's envisioning everyone sitting at home, except for Apple employees who will get fired if they sit down. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Another framing I heard, which makes some sense, is like they talked about Meta really thinking of their device as a gaming platform. And it's kind of mm-hmm. priced at parity with gaming platforms. And the the partnerships they're leaning into are really gaming partnerships. And it comes with very sort of gaming friendly controllers and things like that. And Apple is really thinking of this as a compute platform. And I, I think kind of implied in their announcement is they envision a future when, you know, we don't, we don't own clamshell devices with keyboards that we, we use to get our, get our work done and that we're more likely to sit in a comfortable chair with one of these things on our face and be much more productive. Um, yeah. So another thing that was interesting, this got obscured by the announcement was, I've heard a fair amount of buzz about this roller coaster experience in Japan, and I think it's in a Nintendo theme park. And Super Mario Kart, uh, and I yes. think they, ju- they just and they did it in um, yeah. uh, Universal Studios in Los Angeles, I, I believe, may not ah, have it. Okay. Well, Apple acquired the company that built this experience for Nintendo. And the headset, yeah. It, yeah. So, so you know, kind of putting that together, you see, all right, you got Bob Iger on stage, and that was like content on the device. But think about this killer, you know, imagine you go to your next generation Galaxy Edge experience and you're riding some kind of a ride and now they they throw some AR part on top of that experience. That that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so two other random things I thought were mildly interesting. Normally, Apple is pretty good about dropping these announcements and then having like r- pretty quick availability thereafter. And so one weird thing. They're, they're announcing this in June and it's not going to be available until 2024. Um, which I, I you know, I, uh, that feels a little unusual for me and then not surprising at all, but like very noticeable, uh, three words that were not mentioned ever in this announcement were, uh, artificial intelligence, VR or the metaverse. Mm-hmm. So they, they kind of invented their own terms and I think they very intentionally avoided a variety of stigmas that are attached to some of those, those other terms. Um, and then I guess the last thing in my head, um, you know, there's this company and I think they still exist and they have raised billions of dollars um, on a lot of hype around a, a really high end um, AR headset. It's this company called magic leap. Um, mm-hmm. And I think like, if there's any loser in this whole space, like, like if there was any hope of magically surviving, <laughs> I think I think this you know this seems like a better product in every way than what Magic Leap was promising and wasn't able to deliver. Yeah, yeah. Someone was poking around acquiring them. 
I thought it was Facebook, but yeah, I think, I'm sure there's some yeah. IP that's that's interesting to some. Yeah, I think they're. I hope so. They, they spent a fortune. They, yeah, they missed their window, and they had these really cool early demos. But um, yeah, yeah I actually got one going. where like literally the uh, it was kind of like old school Oculus. Like there's a you know a refrigerator sized computer that was tethered to the to the screen, but it, it definitely it was not 4K with 12 second latency. Nah. Yeah. And so this is where Apple wins because they can, you know, they, they built their own silicon. They built a chip for that latency. It's called the R1 or something. And yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so they and basically said, all right, we need to create hardware that can have this under eight millisecond latency. And they just did it. And yeah, you know, that's not everyone can do that. Not many. Um, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Again, like uh, you and I will be able to have our little avatar meetings after this. Maybe we'll be able to record the podcast in it. Yeah. People can watch us uh, look at each other with goggles. Won't I feel like fun? if there's two people that would whose attractiveness would be improved by the goggles, yeah. it, it might be us. Yeah, yeah, I can. We have uh, faces for podcasting. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering, can you change your eyes? You know, so those are all simulated. So I you have like, to be able to, right? Like, wanna, if I can buy blue contacts, why can't I have? Yeah, yeah. Is that that is true? Uh, for those that didn't see the announcement, uh, it can look like the glasses are clear because you can see the the wearer's eyes through the glasses, but it's because. There's cameras inside the glasses and there's OLED screens on the outside of the glasses. And so they're, they're renderings of your eyes. Yeah. I want to, I'm going to do a Terminator eyes. That's what I'm going for. Yeah. I'm extra leery about Terminator references in our current AI climate. <laughs> That's a good segue. Nice. I like it. Um, yeah. So there's lots of AI news. Like we could do a month of AI shows. It feels like the only thing I talk about at work. Um, but there's one particular subset of all this AI that's often called generative AI. And I'm going to even say focusing very specifically on the, um, uh, image generation AI. Um, and there's tons of cool stuff that I think you and I have both been playing with. Yeah, I'm uh, big into mid-journey, and then everyone's done chat GPT, but then the big the big thing that's helped me is once it became where you could do the links, um, I've been able to – I do a lot of writing, and I've been able to accumulate all my writing in a file and then feed it in and say, here's my style, analyze this. So then it goes – and then I tell it to start writing in my style. Uh, and then that has been a huge game changer for me. That's, uh, you know, the first one gives you like a decent draft and then you kind of find yourself editing it a lot. But like having it where you can now upload new information either from the web or in a file or a PDF is, is been a big game changer for me. It's, it gets it more like, you know, 95% of the way there. Oh, yeah. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but like, uh, there's a small subset of the writing I do that I get to partner with a copywriter. So I'll like, give outlines or dictate things to a copywriter. Um, and the draft I get back is all, almost always well-written, but not remotely in my voice. And so yeah. it takes me a long time to edit it. And if I give those same raw inputs to Chad GBT that, that I've trained to know my, my writing style, um, what I get back is, is way closer to usable. Does your uh, copywriter listen to this podcast? Uh, hopefully she does not. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, again, there's a whole, we, again, we could do another podcast about whether AI <laughs> is going to create or destroy jobs or both. Um, but I think like a lot of things, there are things that we used to pay people to do that are, it's going to be harder to make a living doing. Um, 
but there's going to be lots of new jobs too, right? And those copywriters like ought to be the first ones learning how to write good prompts for these, for these things. Um, the image ones, I've been playing with image generators too. I, I use mid journey. Um, uh, you know, there's an open source one that you can kind of run on your local hardware, stable diffusion, um, that has a lot less constraints. It's not quite as high quality a rendering as, is mid journey. Um, but I'll tell you the new thing that's been fun for me is Adobe announced a generative AI model called Firefly and they already built it in one of their products. So the, the, if you own Photoshop, uh, see, you can download a Photoshop beta and it has this feature that they call, excuse me, generative fill. Um, and generative fill is a legitimate game changer. Um, there's a bunch of use cases that used to be super time consuming. For designers, uh, that that this beta version already like makes child's play, um, and one of the sort of unfortunate thing, Midjourney generates really beautiful images. The one thing it doesn't do is trademarked images or copyright images or text, right? So very often you might generate an image in Midjourney, but then you had you'd have to hand it to a good Photoshop artist to put the uh, spiffy logo in it or to put you know, an, an actual image of Scott Wingo in it or something like that. Um, and uh, uh, Adobe Firefly is really good at that use case. Um, so, like, I've actually done a bunch of kind of blended image where I made an image in mid-journey and then I I refined it in the, the Photoshop beta. And it's, it's, it's super fun. Um, but, man, like, you know, if I'm any kind of uh, designer or graphic artist... Uh, like I want to get good at this stuff right away because it I'm not saying it's going to eliminate jobs, but it's going to change the kind of jobs people need to be good at. Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of really cool use cases of the generative AI feature in Photoshop where people would start like with the Nirvana um, cover, you know, the little baby swimming naked and then expand it ever bigger. And then you can like see the rest of the scene, what the computer imagines. Uh, and they're starting to do it with memes, too. It's pretty wild to watch some of the output of that. It's uh it's like uh, it's a little scary how how uh, you know it could be how how real it is. It feels like it is. Uh, it's not real, obviously, because yeah. no one knows what's in that rest of that frame. Yeah, there there's a real world use case where um, Nike and Tiffany announced a a collab product, and everyone saw it and thought it was awful. Right, yep. like thought it just like it was just a very like not inspiring combination of Nike shoes with Tiffany branding. Um, and, and so a bunch of people then, you know, went and used these generative AI models to create way better looking, sh uh, Tiffany <laughs> Nike shoes. Um, and that really happened. And then last night I actually watched the Nike air movie, which is the, the movie about the, the birth yeah. of the air Jordans with, um, uh, Matt Damon and, uh, Ben Affleck in it. Um, awesome movie, by the way, especially if you, grew up in the eighties. Like, uh, there was a lot of fun nostalgia. Um, but in this movie, the, they get a meeting with young Michael Jordan and his family who are going to come to Beaverton to talk about, uh, um, in getting, doing a Nike endorsement and, and, uh, Nike's the dark horse. Like Jordan's not interested in Nike. And so the, the, the team, after they book this meeting on Friday afternoon, they go to the the one Nike designer in the basement and they say, Hey, by Monday, I need a prototype and a rendering of the world's greatest basketball shoe. And this, this guy had a weekend to 
invent the Air Jordan, which he did, right? And mm-hmm. and history is made. Like, uh, you know, it it, it made forty billion dollars for Phil Knight and a couple billion dollars for for uh, Michael Jordan. Um, so great success. But you imagine that if that kind of thing were to happen today, um, there there'd be a team rendering a uh, uh, hundred different concepts in in these generative AI models, and they'd they'd have like a way wider uh, uh, variation of uh, of interesting ideas to consider. Yeah, very cool. Um, so I will say uh, we're starting to see some interesting commerce uh, use cases. Um, that I, I have seen a bunch of clients that are using generative AI to create or refine product images. And in some cases, they're literally uh, saving millions of man hours now. Um, hmm. You know, so maybe you've got, you know, a huge catalog of products and they're all shot as lifestyle imagery or they're all shot on a on a particular background. And then you now need to sell them in the new marketplace at Shein that didn't exist a year ago. And there's a requirement for white backgrounds. Um, well, you, you know, you used to pay like an army of graphic designers to mask out all these images and change the, the backgrounds. And now that these like generative things can do it trivially. And you imagine pretty quickly, um, that all these images are going to be personalized, right? So instead of, you know, seeing that, that product around some, you know, model family, like at, at some, you know, random person's Thanksgiving table, you're you're gonna see that that uh that new food product at your Thanksgiving table with your family sitting around it and all all of these sorts of you know personalized cases as as the the imagery uh the ability to generate imagery on the fly gets really good. Um and I've actually now seen a couple demos from Google of a product they first announced last year, and then they they announced that it's gonna be released imminently last month. It's called Google Scene Exploration, and this is a cool AR use case uh, specifically for retail. So this is walk into a store, hold your phone with the camera on uh, in front of an aisle, and it recognizes all of the products on the shelf using computer vision, and then it, it overlays all the products with Google ratings and reviews. Um, so like giving you a lot of this, like valuable digital information that didn't used to exist on the shelf. Right. And you, you know, they talk about all the use cases, like, uh, you know, uh, you, you need to buy a highly rated nut free, um, vegan chocolate bar and you're standing in the chocolate aisle and there's a, you know, a thousand chocolate bars. There's no way to search like that. Right. And, and with this, uh, scene exploration, you know, you, you can now do that on the fly in a store. And to me, that seems like a, a pretty cool use case. And it, uh, it's, it's going to be built into the phones in the near, uh, in the OS in the very near future. Very cool. Yeah, I saw Salesforce, uh, they've been going at this very hard. And within the commerce cloud, they announced like 10 features. They have one where it'll auto-generate your PDPs for you. They have one where it will um, it'll generate tags. So like it'll search the description and come up with sizes and colors and, and you know, kind of like a variance and things out of a description. They have another one. There was, uh, they'll actually go create product catalog for you. So if you've, you've, uh, this was a huge thing we had to, a challenge with it. Channel Advisor is if you're selling, if you're selling on Amazon and you're just matching to their East, their ASIN, 
you don't really have the rights to that product information. So then uh, you can't just copy that and then put it on eBay or something like that or your own website. So so they've got this whole way that you can take that data, your your properties, which aren't sentences, create the description and then move it to other sections. So a lot of really interesting things going on in, in the intersection of AI and e-commerce. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so exciting about that. And there's going to be, uh, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about significant new capabilities on an ongoing basis for the foreseeable future. I remember you'd walk the internet retailer and there'd be 10 vendors there that would take your product pictures and add a white background. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. yeah. And that <laughs> went from like, uh, you know, people in America doing that to people in India doing that. And now it's, it's an NVIDIA chip doing it. Yeah. Um, which side note. Like, you know, people keep asking who's winning the who's going to be the one to monetize AI. Is it going to be open AI or meta or all these small companies? We we also got the answer to that this quarter. It's NVIDIA. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to win. Yes. Yeah. Very so clear. for those that don't know, NVIDIA's market cap, NVIDIA is a chip manufacturer famous for these high performance uh, graphic chips that were originally used for gaming and still are. Um and uh, their their chips have been extremely useful for training and doing uh, refining training for all these these large language models in AI. Um, and their market cap briefly passed a trillion dollars um, this month. I think it dipped like just below a trillion dollars at the moment. But to put that in perspective, Intel's market cap is like one hundred and thirty billion dollars. Yeah. Like so, Nvidia, the game chip company, is eight times more valuable than Intel at the moment. It's crazy. Yeah, who you no no one had that on their bingo card five years ago. No, I wish that was one of my uh, 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 year beginning predictions. Yeah. Um. Anything else on AI? Or? No, no. Uh, did you? Amazon had an announcement uh, last month. Did you follow that? Yeah. 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 Well, it wouldn't be a Jason Scott show without Tom. <laughs> Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. That's right. Time for some Amazon news. Um, Amazon has been unexpectedly quiet. Um, so uh, we've got a new CEO. Uh, Bezos is out romping around wearing crazy shirts at uh, uh, festivals and living the high life uh, with his uh, girlfriend. Um, so Google some of that. Uh, oh, they're, they're, oh, they're engaged. I did not know that. Congratulations, Jeff. Yeah. I know he listens to the yeah. show. Uh, if you're playing bingo, it was a $2.5 million diamond. Nice. Um, the one thing I saw just to highlight is a lot. There's there's kind of a, you know, there's a bit of an economic downturn has made many of the video providers get more serious about profitability. So we saw both Netflix and Disney add an ad supported tier and increase their prices. Um, and uh, just as we're recording this, Amazon announced they're going to do the same thing with prime. So they're going to have an ad tier for, for prime, but I know you follow the devices. I totally uh, slept on this because I was so eager for the vision pro. Uh, tell me about the new devices. Yeah. 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 Uh... I would uh, uh, characterize it as disappointing. They they launched some new um, Echo devices at uh, the in the middle of uh, um, May uh, for release on May thirty first. Um, and you know, I, I have a 
uh, an embarrassing amount of these devices controlling smart home features throughout my house. And they, they, when I first got them, like it's, it, I seem very, I felt very satisfied with them. Like the, the accuracy of the speech recognition and stuff seemed adequate, like based on my expectations at the time. Um, but I've grown to be very annoyed by them. Like they really struggle to know which room you're talking to and they're inconsistent about how semantically accurate you have to be like, and in this world where Chad GBT is writing all of my articles for me, um, I, I, you know, you just go like, man, the, the speech recognition in, in the, this hardware has to be better. Um, and so I was kind of eagerly looking for some new echoes that had like, uh, an LLM in them. Um, it seemed like Amazon was our first mover here. Um, and so they did announce some new devices, but they're pretty boring. Uh, so they announced a new form factor called the Echo Pop, which is, I want, by my count, their fourth or fifth attempt to build a more premium speaker into an Echo. Um, and this is like a more affordable premium speaker, which seems like a weird niche. Um, so that wasn't that interesting. I don't actually use the Echoes like as speakers so much. Um, and then they launched a new Echo Show 5, which is the the echo with the screen it's the smallest screen this five inch screen um and then they announced some new echo buds uh the the echo built into the the earbuds which you and i both tried and i don't think we're very enamored by um the the features are like oh the speaker sounds better than the old speaker the microphone is more accurate than the old microphone and it's 20 percent faster and so, like, I bought a couple of these new new Echoes to see if I, you know, noticed a difference. And it's, like, it, it's to me, it's mostly imperceptible from the old hardware. So pretty disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that announcement, I will say Andy Jassy said um, that, hey, the large language model uh, for Echo is coming. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, like... Uh, you know, it does feel like Amazon's a little behind, and I don't know if this announcement was meant to apologize for that that uh, status or whether there really is something that's going to be imminently announced. But you know, like he he doubled down on their effort to make this the the most useful personal assistant on earth, and you know, part of that is we're going to have a robust large language model that's you know on has a. Uh, a similar number of parameters to to OpenAI or uh, Baird or um, or Llama from uh, from Meta um, that that Amazon's going to release to make these these sneakers smarter. So I I hope he delivers on that promise. Yeah, the there it definitely feels like uh, ChatGPT started this new gear for innovation and. Feels like Apple, even with their big announcement, there was and they they worked some AI in there, but it just feels like, you know, there's a lot of people speculating. Do you really need a phone if if we're gonna head to a device where you can talk to it and these plugins at ChatGPT now give it actions so you can say, hey, book me a restaurant reservation. You know, the things you would do on your phone, you're gonna be almost able to do totally by voice soon. Therefore, will you need a phone? Um, so there, there's a lot of, you know, that's a, you know, and you would expect Amazon who was ahead on voice now feels like they're behind on a lot of this. So it's gonna be really interesting this next year to see who can kind of hang with this and who can't the, the R and D budgets are going to go through the roof. That's for sure. Yeah. And the irony is, you know, you go back in time and, uh, 
you know, all the retailers in America were happily, you know, shipping two weeks after you placed an order. And Amazon, you know, disrupted everybody by saying like, hey, you should get your stuff in two days and then one day and then same day. Right. And they they raise the expectations for everyone else. Um, it feels like OpenAI is doing that to Apple and and Amazon right now on the on the uh, natural language models. Yep. Yeah. The so the pop did not pop. It it uh, it did not. I did not, in full disclosure. I did not buy a pop because again, like I don't I don't so much buy them for their speaker fidelity. Um, I mostly yeah. buy them to control my lights and stuff. Um, but yeah, I like I still have to repeat myself multiple times in some rooms to just turn stuff on. And it's frustrating. Yeah. So this one was one I wanted to bounce off of you. I'm, I'm a CNBC junkie and I was watching the other day and target stock had a big miss and the folks on the talking heads were saying that in their earnings release, they really called out this shoplifting as a pro- as a problem. And they took a one, a write off of something like $500 million so, so I'm sure everyone has seen the videos where, uh, you know, this, this new organized crime kind of wave going on, especially in big cities where you'll see, you know, 20 people go in a store and just run out with armful of stuff. Um, it's happening to started with kind of luxury. And then, then you saw a little lemon and it happens in Apple stores. And now you're starting to see it in everyday department stores and drug stores. Um, so, so I thought that was, you know, as an e-commerce person, I was thinking, huh, that's interesting. You know, I wonder if, and and uh, kind of high pro some high profile store closures have followed from this. So Nordstrom closed a store in like San Francisco and, and this kind of thing. So I was thinking as an e-commerce person, I was kind of thinking, well, this is interesting. This is gonna this is gonna benefit Amazon pretty immensely because as these stores have to close due to this crime wave, it's gonna benefit e-commerce and then Amazon is like sixty percent of e-commerce. So they'll just get they'll just absorb a lot of that 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 so the the crime is going to have this unintended consequence of getting rid of stores which is bad for for the local environment and then it'll you know i don't yeah i don't think they really want to benefit amazon but they will so i wanted to get your your hot take on that well first of all just to complete your thought uh the the brick and mortar retailers and the national retail federation would actually say amazon's double dipping on that benefit because they're both like selling stuff when the the stores close in the big cities um but also, most of the retailers blame the organized crime on Amazon. <laughs> um, so the, the narrative is basically that like, uh, you know, people, here's who used to steal from stores. Um, people that needed something and couldn't afford it for whatever reason, right? So they, they stole food for their family or, or, you know, items they couldn't afford to buy. That was individual shoplifting. Um, and employees stole stuff. Employees shrank. Um, and there now is this, uh, much higher occurrence of organized crime for profit where, where people are stealing, you know, every bottle of shampoo in the Walgreens. And, uh, one of the reasons, uh, these big retailers say that this kind of crime is much larger now is it's way easier to monetize that stuff after you steal it. And the reason they say it's easier to monetize it is you can, uh, go sell all of this, this stolen merchandise pretty easily on Amazon and eBay. Um, so that's controversial. Like, uh, the marketplaces do a lot to sort of avoid selling, um, stolen goods. Um, but that part, one of the premises why there's more organized crime is because, uh, it is, is easier to fence and monetize this stuff. Um, 
But here's the thing that's super interesting about that. Like there for sure is this new kind of crime and it's, it's, uh, much more newsworthy. So when someone drives a truck through the front of an Apple store and then steals all the the phones, that's going to be on the local news. When someone shoplifts a pound of cheese, that's not going to be on the local news, right? Or when an employee does a fake return to embezzle $60 from a shirt, like that's not as often on the local news. Um, So all of these organized crimes get put on the news and on YouTube and things like that more. And and a, a huge problem is... Like it's much more violent. People are getting hurt. Employees, uh, and in a few cases, the perpetrators are, are getting hurt or even killed. And so like there is a, a way higher human cost to this kind of crime. Um, and so we have heard a bunch of retail CEOs, you know, um, uh, raising the alarm bells and they say two things like, Oh man, our losses are going up. This is having a, a material economic effect on our business. We're closing stores. Uh, um, partly because of this, uh, and, um, you know, we're having to change how we do, do store operations, um, and, and, you know, all these things. They're also saying, uh, that police forces are underfunded and, you know, don't have enough resources to help, um, retailers with this problem. So they're, they're in many cases, you know, asking for more, more municipal support. Um, here's the thing though. People have always stolen stuff from retailers. There's always been a line item on uh, every retailer's P&L for shrink. Um, and for most public companies, that's that's a, a, a publicly disclosed number. Um, and usually for most retailers, and it varies by the type of retailer and the, the geography, but usually it's 1% to 2% of revenue is lost um, in shrink. Um, and so... Uh, Target's announcement was, um, hey, we lost, uh, we potentially could lose $500 million in profit this year. Um, and their stock partly went down from, uh, because of it. Like I would argue their, their stock also went down for some, uh, uh, PR missteps they made. And then also, uh, because their revenue is just soft compared to some of their competitors. Um, but it partly went down for that shrink because $500 million in profit sounds like a big deal. But if you gross up $500 million in profit to uh, uh, product costs, that's $1.6 billion in shrink at Target in 2022. And they're saying it could be as high as $2 billion in shrink in 2023. That means that shrink is 1.5 to 1.9% of Target's revenue, which is below industry averages. Um, Walgreens has made all of these same complaints. And last year, the Walgreens CFO, like in the earnings call, um, said, hey, this is a huge deal. Like our shrink could potentially be up 52% from before the pandemic. Um, and then he did his 2022 year in earnings and shrink was lower <laughs> than, <laughs> than the last two years. And he literally had to say, like, maybe we cried too much. <laughs> Um, so I do think there is this new crime. It's very serious. Like it, it is a problem. And, and, you know, I have great empathy for retailers in addressing that and the shrink should be zero. Like, um, but, uh, it, it's a little bit of a fallacy to say, Hey, there's this new material economic impact from this shrink that didn't exist before. Um, because the employee shrink is way down because the, the surveillance and the, the big data and, and the business processes have all eliminated a lot of that. And so 
the net shrink for a lot of retailers really isn't as significant. Now, it might be more significant in particular stores. And so some of the the closing of these stores seems at least partially legitimate. I will say there's even controversy about that. Like when Walgreens says, hey, we're closing a store in San Francisco because there's too much crime. Um, the San Francisco Police Department rides in and goes, that's weird because we got way less uh, uh, complaints from from Walgreens last year than we did three years ago or whatever. So there's there's room for disputes about all this stuff. But uh, organized crime is definitely uh, uh, an increasingly serious thing that retailers have to deal with. Um, but don't immediately buy all the hype that it's um, that it's uh, some you know new economic strain that retailers have never seen before. I wonder if there's a bit of a f- narrative around the shrink number. Like I, you know, I'm sure they're reporting it correctly, but so I wonder if it has the same store sales effect. Like let's say Walgreens has to close ten, ten stores because the shrink is so bad. The, that comes out of the numbers, right? Because it's probably a same store kind of metric. So they probably, you know, now the whole number would improve dramatically, but they've shrunk their footprint. Like it, it's probably not capturing that. Do you, yeah. No, yeah. agreed. Uh, all, uh, as, as, uh, uh, Wayne Heising had taught me, uh, 30 years ago, like it, any good healthy retailer should be closing and opening stores every year. Like there's like you, you can't, uh, th- if you had the perfect real real estate in one year, it would not be perfect the next year, right? And so, um, in many cases, like they're closing stores in economically, you know, um, unfriendly climates for them, um, and that improves their same store sales numbers. It improves their comps, right? And you know, whether they did that for purely economic reasons or they did it because there was more organized crime or to protect employees or whatever, like, um. It's not wrong for these retailers to curate their their fleet. And in an economic downturn, that might mean having fewer stores than last year. Historically, the challenge with that is investors always expect you to grow. Um, and so inve- investors don't like the story of like, of closing underperforming stores um, and having better comps if you if your overall revenue goes down. So, you know, this is yet another kind of excuse for them to reset expectations with investors. I think I think that's totally fair. Yeah. Uh, in some cases, I will tell you, retailers are closing iconic stores that just feels kind of sad. Like the, the Nordstrom flagship store in San Francisco is, has always been a big deal. That's mm-hmm. closing. I lived in Portland, Oregon, and they had a, a beautiful REI in uh, the Pearl District, which was like a great, super friendly place to live. And they're closing that store. And they said partly because they didn't feel they could protect employees. Like, um, that there is something happening that feels like a bummer. And there's a lot of big cities um, that it feels a lot less fun to go shopping um, than it did a few years ago, which, which is, I, I do think a legitimate concern. Yeah. Um. So I know you're the king of all e-commerce and commerce data. What are you seeing in the, the reports that have come out since our last pod? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've slowed down a little bit on the frequency of the podcast. Um, so kind of just super brief recap, U.S. Department of Commerce data comes out every month. Uh, so we we have the May report, which has data through April. Next week, we'll get uh, the the May data. Um, so January through April sales for all of retail are up 2.4% from last year. Um, that is that is down a little bit from historical averages. Uh, pre-pandemic, you'd expect retail to be up about 4% a year. So 2.4% um, is concerning. Um, 
if you look at it from before the pandemic, retail sales are up year to date three, 36% from 2019, for example. Um, so, so still by historic standards, that's very high. But this year feels like a meaningful slowdown in sales from last year. And of course, as soon as you start talking about this, people go, well, what about inflation? So if I normalize this data for inflation, year-to-date sales this year are down 3% from last year, which historically doesn't happen, even with inflation. So that um, that is a real concern. Like It, it, it feels very legitimate that we're, we're seeing a slowdown in in consumer spending and particularly in inflation adjusted dollars. Um, so I mentioned retail sales since the pandemic are up 36%. If you adjust that for inflation, they're up about 14%. So less than half of all our, our sales growth since the pandemic or more than half of our sales growth since the pandemic has been a direct result of unusual inflation. Um, more than typical inflation. And then, you know, people always ask us in particular about the e-commerce numbers. Again, before the pandemic, the, it, over the last 20 years, e-commerce would average around 12 to 15% growth a year. Retail would average 3 to 4% growth a year. Uh, there was a weird uh, transposition in the middle of the pandemic when people, you know, finally went back to stores for the first time and slowed down their e-commerce spending. So like for the only time in my lifetime, um, 2022 saw, uh, retail sales growing faster than e-commerce briefly. That trend has reversed. E-commerce is back on top of retail, but it's not back to historic standards. So e-commerce year to date is up about 7.4%, um, versus 2022. Uh, still, uh, you know, you remember in the middle of the pandemic, people were talking about e-commerce spiking and then regressing to the mean. Just want to remind our listeners, that's not true. Uh, the U.S. Department of Commerce revised some numbers and e-commerce growth has ended up being much more robust than like the Wall Street Journal reported in in uh, in a famous article in 2022. So e-commerce is up about 89 percent since since 2019. And that means above and beyond the traditional growth that I would have forecasted for e-commerce, we've sold an extra six hundred and seventy five billion dollars since the pandemic started. So e-commerce still is the biggest winner in this kind of um, pandemic accelerated uh, spending. Um, and it's, you know, we'll get the Q2 e-commerce data in about two months. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out and whether, you know, the, the consumer slowdown persists through the end of the year and holiday or whether we start to get a bounce. Yeah. And I, I know it's June and, um, but you get paid to think about this more than I do. So what, when uh, clients are saying, Jason, what are you thinking about holiday 23? What are you telling? Uh, I think on the aggregate, I'm not expecting it to be an awesome holiday. Um, I think uh, there's even if um, the the economy loosens up, there's uh, it's going to take a while for consumer spending to come back. And I, I think the overall consumer spending um, is going to be, you know, modest. There'll be growth, but it'll be low growth and uh, because inflation will still be uh, unusually high, like profitability is going to really be be strained for this holiday. Um, that being said, we're likely to see some clear winners and losers. So, like, not everyone's going to uh, kind of match the industry average. And we've we've already had a couple bankruptcies. Um, Bed Bath and Beyond used to sell a lot of holiday goods, so retailers are going to fight over you know who wins that customer this holiday. Um, and so, I, I do think. You can expect to see some retailers have a really good holiday, 
Um, and you know, I, I hate to say this for all the small all retailers out there, but like at the moment, the the likely narrative is the biggest, best retailers in the ecosystem are likely to to disproportionately win holiday. So like I if I had to guess, I would guess Amazon and Walmart are gonna have a pretty good holiday at the expense of the rest of retail. Got it. Well, you're a Grinch. Yeah, I want to be wrong. Um, I want to be wrong on that. I want to be right on all my year beginning forecasts, which I can't even remember what they were. Yeah, I'm just kidding. You get paid to tell the real deal. Uh, I'd I'd rather, I would rather um, be prepared uh, for a soft holiday and then be pleasantly surprised. Um, I almost hesitate to even bring this up because it it feels like it always happens, but there, there are now some potential new supply chain challenges perking up. So there's, there's some labor disputes. Uh, our friends, the Teamsters that unload all the, the boats on the West coast of America, like are threatening work stoppages and, you know, any, any disruption there like has a meaningful impact on how much goods we have available for holiday. And then one I've never heard before in my lifetime, uh, the, the worldwide drought is having a material impact on the supply chain, uh, what there is not is enough water in the Panama Canal. Hmm. And so it, it turns out the way the locks work, they have to pour a bunch of water into the canal to lift the boats. And there's less water available, so the water costs more. So it is more expensive to take a heavy boat through the Panama Canal today than it was a month ago because of the price of water, which... huh? It it makes sense when you hear it, but it uh, not something you would I would have thought of. Um, and so at the moment, the supply chain wonks are are talking about like you know we might have some unanticipated uh, supply chain costs as as you know people have to pay for the the constrained amount of uh, tonnage that they can lift through the Panama Canal. Well, learn something every day, and I can uh, check that off my box in it. Nice. Well, that's probably a perfect uh, place to end it because we have used up our allotted time. But even though we've been a little less frequent than usual, uh, I always look forward to catching up with you. And uh, it's been uh, great to chat. I I look forward to hearing uh, how our listeners are doing. Yeah. And you know what listeners could do to help us out? Leave a review. We would always love uh, your feedback. Um, Let us know how we're doing and if there's any topics you want to cover. Uh, And we appreciate you giving us a listen. Scott, that's a great idea. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 